Good morning. Uh, I've been, Julie and I have both been looking forward to this for, I don't really know, maybe in January when we found out we were moving back. Um, We've been looking forward to being with you all, and I want to thank you for the invitation to come and to speak and to work as we are planning. Um, Julie and I just got to Miami on Tuesday at uh, 2.30, and we stayed with my brother at um, in Dade City, Florida, which is ne- next to Tampa, um, and we got here in the area on Wednesday. Um, I uh, Let me pull up my notes. I... Uh, would I, w- I want to get to know you after uh, I'm not really the best at introductions so normally I just want to get into my sermon and that's really where the focus is so I didn't really know how to introduce the lesson um, but the focus is on God and uh, I, I want to get to know you um, and I, I look forward to getting to know you at the potluck um, but let's keep our focus where it needs to be I was encouraged during our class going through the story of the Bible, and I very much appreciate uh, textual sermons. That is what I uh, normally do. I'll do a few topical sermons, but the text is where we need to be focused, and that's where we learn from. We learn from the text, and maybe I can um, at times help uh, bring some things to light, but I want to do a textual sermon on the Gospel of Mark. Today. So please turn your Bibles to the to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to do verses 1 to 8. That's what we're going to get the lesson from this morning. And I'm going, I normally don't use a whiteboard, but I'm going to try to use a whiteboard and maybe uh, this will help us uh, remember some of the points. Again, I want to thank you for being here and uh, for studying the Bible with me. Mark chapter 1 and verse 1. Let's read. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh... Let me, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this whole section, but let me first say the message this morning is that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, that is what I believe that Mark is writing his gospel in order to show, that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, what is the Messiah? Um, the Jews had a completely different understanding of who the Messiah was, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna understand that as we go through this section. But the point point number one is Jesus or Mark testifies that Jesus is the Messiah. And uh, let, let's keep on reading though, and then we'll come back through and look at it. So, verse two, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, "Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way." The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Verse 4, 
John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming, who is mightier, mightier than I. And I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so reads the word of God. So, Jesus is, uh, let me just say Messiah. In the Gospels, we normally don't get a title like, uh, in, in our Bibles it says the Gospel according to Mark. That's what my Bible says. But really, if you were, were going to look at the manuscripts, it would just start the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's a title. Mark is telling you what he's about to tell you. This is the title of his sermon, in a way. Jesus is the Messiah. And as we read this story, the people inside, I mean, uh, you have the disciples and the scribes, they don't know that. They have to understand that. Does that make sense? That Peter, when you see Peter and when you see uh, the disciples in the story, and they're going to mess up, they're going to misunderstand, they're going to fail. They don't read Mark's title. They don't know that. They have to come to understand that. Mark tells us at the beginning, Jesus is the Messiah. Um, so in verse number one, he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We normally say Jesus Christ, and we almost think that Jesus Christ, you know, Christ is his last name. Um, most of us, we don't actually think that, but maybe we actually, we, we say it in that way. Jesus Christ, we're trying, to, we're trying to distinguish Jesus from the other Jesus who works, you know, down at the store or something. Jesus was a very common name, and Mark here is not just saying Jesus Christ, He's making a proclamation. He's saying Jesus is the Messiah. Um, so what is the Christ? What is the Messiah? What did the Jews think of that? The Messiah, or the Christ and Messiah are the same word, really. Um, Christ is uh, the Greek word, and Messiah is the Hebrew word. Um, so what does Messiah mean to the Hebrews? It's the anointed person who was going to come and deliver them. They were waiting for some time for, for the deliverance that God was going to bring from their enemies. In Daniel, you'll read about them waiting for the, the deliverer. The son of David was going to be the anointed one. Um, that's really what Messiah means as well, the anointed one. Um, 
Jesus is that Messiah. That's what Mark tells us. Um, and he says that this is gospel. Do you see that word gospel in verse 1? Um, what does gospel mean? We normally say it means good news. Um, the Greek word is uangelos. Uh, 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 the verb would be uangelizo. Um, it's not just good news, though. It's good news about a change in power. Um, and let me try to explain that. When, the, when Mark uses this word gospel, he is not just saying that it's good news like, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know of a good analogy. Uh, but, you know, the our sports team won. Or the person I voted for won. That's good news. That's not what, what, that's not what this word means. It's more of a mean, it, it really means victory in a way. Uh, if, could we go back to First Chronicles? First Chronicles chapter 10. I hope that I can explain this um, in a clear way. And I'm still getting used to teaching in my own language. Uh, not that I really taught that much in Romanian, but without a translator is different. So if you hear a lot of big pauses, it's because I'm waiting for my translators to start talking. <laughs> Maybe I need one too. because I... First Chronicles chapter 10 and verse 9. So they stripped him and took his head and his armor and sent messengers around the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to their idols and to the people. What is what's happening in this text? The chronicler is recording the good news that Saul has died, but he's telling it from the perspective of the Philistines. He says this good this is good news that this king died. The Greek word is gospel here. Now, this is, this is the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but in Jesus' time, they read it in Greek. They read the, the Greek translation. Like today, we don't read the Hebrew. We read the English translation. Back then, they didn't read the Hebrew. They read the Greek. That's what they they. That is gospel, right here in verse 9. They carried the good news to their idols and to the people. This is not just some little bit of good news. It, you know, um, I found a good deal at Walmart today. or it, This is really, really good. There's a change in power. There's a victory. That's the gospel. So Mark, in his beginning, he says... The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, also, we, we could go to a different, uh, a few different passages in the Old Testament where this word gospel is used. Um, also, outside of the Bible, um, there's the pre preanian inscription 
And this is uh, just talking about when Caesar was born. And they say that it was good news. It was gospel when Caesar was born because Caesar was the emperor. Um, this is significant good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So uh, first off, Mark. Mark is the first person, really, in this gospel who says Jesus is the Messiah. Number two, um, uh, I'm just going to put the OT. The Old Testament testifies that Jesus is the Messiah. Let's read verses two to three. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Um, I did miss one point that I wanted to say about how Mark says he's the Messiah. What did the Jews think of a Messiah? Their idea was that God was going to send an anointed one who was going to deliver them politically from the Romans or from the Babylons before, or Babylonians and even before that, the Assyrians. That's who a Messiah was. Is that who Jesus was? Was he that kind of a Messiah? No. And it's like, I'm trying to make an analogy. It's like if we were, if, if, if I was in Russia, okay, and I'm being pers persecuted, or I'm, if I'm in China and I'm being persecuted, and God tells me, hey, Sam, I'm going to deliver you. Okay, this is great. And then... Uh, someone comes and he starts telling me, hey, Sam, you got to repent. You got to change your life. And then this person dies that was going to come deliver me. I'm like, this is obviously not the Messiah. He did not deliver me like I thought he, uh, that God was going to deliver me. Does this make sense? I, I hope that they were not ready for a Messiah like Jesus. They were not prepared for it. Now, this makes sense why God sends Elijah, why God sends uh, John the Baptist. He's trying to prepare them. God's going to deliver you. But the nature of the kingdom is much different than you expect. So, they didn't expect... Jesus to be the Messiah. They don't expect some <laughs> crucified Messiah. That just that's just that's almost a contradiction in terms. That's like a, a crucified conqueror. What? But now when you know Jesus, it all makes sense. We we know exactly what happens. But I want it to, to shock us like, like it did the, the 
those who met Jesus and those who had this huge expectation. Um, and an, an application I want to get before I go on to my second point is we have to let the Bible shape our understanding. The Bible is very provocative. The Bible is going to demand us to change our beliefs. Some of the cha- beliefs that we've we've had growing up maybe not be the, they may not be the most accurate. We need to allow the Bible to shape our understandings. It was very difficult for Jews to accept a crucified Messiah. But they had to change. And even for us today, we have to change our beliefs according to the Bible. Um, so, uh, going on to point number two. Mark says, okay, the, the Old Testament, it says that Jesus is the Messiah. Um. In verse 2 first, he says, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Who says that? It's actually not Isaiah, that, that section. Verse 3 is Isaiah. And I'm not sure if you use your side marginal notes, if you have that on, on your Bibles. Um, my Bible, I use the New American Standard Bible. Uh, so right on the side here, it'll tell me um, where a certain s- section is pulled from from the Old Testament. Mine says Malachi 3 and verse 1. Um, so he's quoting from Malachi 3 verse 1. And one of my professors uh, has told me this. He said, Sam, anytime there's a new there's an Old Testament Old Testament quotation in the New Testament, go back and read it and understand the context. Because oftentimes, the Jews were so familiar, they were so uh, biblically literate, not biblically, but you know, they were literate with their own scriptures, that when you would quote from something, they could pull, they could, uh, ev- that would evoke the image of that whole context. Does that make sense? So when we might be reading it, we just see this little quotation, but really maybe the... Mark is saying, I'm going to quote Malachi 3 verse 1, but I'm, talk, I'm, I'm looking at the whole context of Malachi. It's like today if we say, uh, I was trying to think of an analogy, of mice and men. I'm not sure if uh, maybe you hear that, but that, uh, that mean, that's just a little phrase, but it means, I think it's from uh, the book of mice and men, of mice and men, uh, the best the plans of, of mice and men often go awry. I forget how it goes. But uh, there's a little quote. What's some other ones? Um, maybe just little idioms that we have in English, but we understand their context and we can say it very easily. I can't think of another one right now. Um, so what's in Malachi 3 verse 1? I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna take us all back there because we would have to read the whole section. But in Malachi three and verse one, um, it is clear uh, the religious leaders are accused of rejecting God by their blind, defiled sacrifices, and that's in Malachi one verse seven to eight. And because of this defilement, God himself 
would come and purge Israel. But first he says, I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before you. And that's in Malachi 3 verse 1. So God, in Malachi, God is condemning Israel because they are defiling him. They are, they are not being loyal to him. And God says, I'm going to judge them. And he says, but first, I'm going to send my messenger. And, and uh, um, Mark uses that section here. That says a few things. One thing it says is that whoever comes after John the Baptist, because John the Baptist is the messenger, God comes. Does that make sense? Whoever comes after the messenger is God. Because Mark applies this passage to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the messenger. And it also means that there is a judgment in the Messiah. The, the, the Messiah will bring a judgment. Um, okay, and then in verse 3, if you could read it with me. Mark chapter 1, verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. This is Isaiah. And I think the reason why Mark would just say Isaiah said this, but he actually quotes from Malachi and Isaiah, is because Isaiah was probably the, the better known uh, prophet. Many people knew uh, Isaiah. That was a book that uh, a lot of the Jews would repeatedly read. In... Uh, In Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah 7, just to get the context, in Isaiah 7 to 39, there, God is showing how he is going to be faithful to Israel even though they were faithless to him. In Isaiah... 40 to 66, God says, I'm going to come rescue you. There's a very, this is a verse, chapter 40 is pivotal in Isaiah. I'm not sure if you studied the book of Isaiah recently. But verse 40, or chapter 40 rather, it is very important to the big picture of Isaiah. Where does Mark quote from? Isaiah 40, verse 3. And this is where God is no longer focusing on how he is going to be faithful regardless of their sin, regardless of their wickedness. It's where he starts saying, but I'm going to deliver you anyways. In verse 3, he says, uh, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. God is going to come regardless. God is faithful even when his people are faithless. Mark has straightened the path for the readers to understand who John is. More, more importantly, who comes after him? God himself.
Uh, does this make sense? I hope it does. So first we talked about how Mark, while he's writing the gospel, the, I believe, we could go into and talk about this afterwards, but I believe that Mark was the first gospel written. Um, the order I would probably say it would be Mark and then Matthew, Luke, and then John. Um, but Mark's writing here, he says, okay, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus the Messiah, not just Jesus Christ, but Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And then he says, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, and then he goes and he shows, okay, God told us he was going to send a messenger to prepare the way, and then God himself was going to come afterwards. And then um, in chapter 1, verse 4 to 8, John John the Baptist. It says that Jesus is the Messiah. He testifies about Jesus. Um, let's read verse 4. John the Baptist, or we could say John the Baptizer appeared in the wilderness and I would I would say he appeared in the desert um, just because actually Julie and I we had the privilege of going seeing the uh, uh, Israel and we went to uh, Jerusalem and Jericho and you go out to the desert and I think we were near where John was baptizing down uh, next to the Dead Sea um, Anyways, it's desert there. When I think of a wilderness, I think of kind of like a lush area with some green. That's not it at all. I, I think uh, the Greek word here, uh, ergos, uh, it's actually where we get our word ag agriculture. Um, it can mean both. Uh, context will decide. But uh, anyways, he's in the desert. He's in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 5. And all the country of Judea was going out to him. And all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me... One is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John is that messenger that was going to go before God to prepare the way. Um, so... John is out there preaching uh, a baptism of uh, repentance. Um, I have a question. Baptism. Was there any understanding of baptism before this? Was this some completely new rite? Some completely new ceremony? 
Did they have any understanding? Where did this idea of, of plunging people down in water and bringing them up, where did this come from? Do we read about it in the Old Testament? We read about water cleansings, but we don't read about, I mean, we read about Naaman. That's a, that's a good one. About being f- cleansed in water. Where does this come from? Um, I think there are, there's three possibilities um, that I have, uh, that I guess I've studied. Um, and these aren't that important. I'm still going to write them. Uh, if you've heard of the Qumran community, um, have you, if you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, one of the biggest finds in the 20th century, uh, in the 20th century, um, it was a group of Jews outside of Jerusalem who were in caves, and they were they thought that that they were probably a group of Essenes, but they thought that Jerusalem has been corrupted, and they stayed out uh, out. Side of Jerusalem. When we were there, uh, Julie and I, we wanted to go see the caves of where these scrolls were found. We actually didn't get to go see them, but they just lived in caves, and they had these these writings, and they were very pious, I guess I would say. This community would would have full washing, full body immersion, um, cleansings. Maybe John. John had that idea. Uh, maybe he's pulling it from the Essenes. Or, uh, I don't know how to spell proselyte, actually. Um, uh, the uh, Jewish proselytes. Um, Jews would baptize Gentiles who were not ethnic Jews. Sometimes he would, they would baptize them in order to become Jews. Does that make sense? Um, but this is only in the second century, and I think that the Jews actually later on, they adopted this belief from the Christians because we only hear about this in the second century. And then the third... Uh, option is is in the Old Testament we read of cleansings. We read of uh, the priests washing their hands, and we read of um, I'm just going to put Old Testament. Uh, in the Old Testament we read of the priests having to wash themselves, and that was a, a cleansing. Um, so where does the idea of baptism come from? As I'm convinced, I think it has a lot to do with. With all of these, what is the, what is the, what is common between all of them? They all thought water cleansed someone spiritually. It was a physical symbol of what happens spiritually. And what does this mean? This was a radical call. He's saying, you guys, uh, in verse 4, it says, all of Judea and Jerusalem were coming out and being baptized by John. These Jews 
were cleansing all of themselves in water. John is not saying just wash your hands or just wash your face. He says you need to be born, my own language I would say, you have to be born all over again, like what Jesus tells Nicodemus. It's not just, don't just clean your hands. Don't just clean a little bit about you. You have to be completely submerged in water and be completely cleansed. Water cleanses. But when John says you need to be completely baptized, that is a very profound call to repentance. Not just a little bit. And I think that's significant. Um, as an illustration, you know, what if, what if we were as a group, what if we were in Russia, let's say, and uh, we're there and we're waiting for someone to come deliver us and uh, we're being persecuted and then someone says, you know, way well, God told me that he's going to come deliver us. And some person comes in um, before the deliverer and says, okay, you have to, you have to be completely, you have to completely wake up to God's reality. You have to, you have to open your eyes because, because you are not, uh, the, the problem is inside of you. It's not Russia. Does that make sense? When, when John is preparing Jesus' way, he is, he is redirecting their focus to the Roman Empire and saying, it's not about there. It's about what's inside. Are you having a relationship with God? Or are you worried about the Roman government? Or are you worried about things outside? Um, and I think that there's an application for this. I think there's a lot of times we might get caught up in politics to where we think that something outside of us needs to be reformed. Something outside of us needs to be cleansed. And that's where our focus is. But when the Messiah comes, Messiah does not say, okay, let's revolt. He says, repent, change your lives. And that's what we're called to be as Christians. There's a place for us to speak in the public arena. There's a place for us, especially when our, when our form of government desires its, uh, it's, it, you know, we're a democracy. Um, it desires its people to speak up. But first and foremost, we must be changed. That's what God, Jesus came to do, to cleanse our hearts and not deliver us politically or from any social status or anything. It's from within. And I think that's significant. That's what John was doing. He was baptizing people for the remission of sins. But it was a repentance baptism. And in a way, John kind of knew who this was coming after him. He says, hey, someone mightier than I is coming. Now, that's not really too detailed, but hey, someone great is coming. He says, I'm not even able to um, untie his sandal. Um, and from what I've heard, uh, often Gentile slaves would, are those who would untie someone's shoe. It's just a, it's a dirty part of the body. You normally wouldn't do it. It's, it's the slave who would do that. 
John's here saying, I, I wouldn't even be worthy to untie his sandal. Someone great is coming. I'm baptizing you with water. Someone awesome is going to come, and he's going to baptize you with the, the Spirit. I am only a very small taste of what this person um, is, and I am, I am I'm very small. Things weren't that clear at the time. What they, uh, what they had was the voice of, uh, was the voice and the water. They were now to get ready for the human figure who would make sense, but very disturbing sense of it all. Again, they weren't expecting, uh, they weren't expecting this kind of Messiah. The Messiah that Jesus was. Mark says Jesus is the Messiah. The Old Testament says that Jesus is the Messiah. John the Baptist is proclaiming and testifying that Jesus is the Messiah at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. But throughout the narrative, and I, and I, I pray that we're going to be able to study the whole Gospel of Mark. Throughout the whole narrative, you start having to change your understanding of Jesus. Um, and today, Jesus is just as provocative as he was then. Today, the Jesus in pop culture is way different than he is today. Um, I've been studying Mark for some time, and I am often just shocked by how Jesus acts sometimes. He's very pointed when he responds to people. He knows people's heart, and he says some things that hurts them. He will go into a temple, and he'll throw over tables. Sometimes the Jesus that we think we know, we, we don't know as well as we, uh, as we think we do. So let's, let's study Jesus, and let's know who Jesus is. I believe the, the, the theme of the Gospel of Mark is answering the question, Who is Jesus? Who then is this? And uh, um, obviously, uh, Jesus, this is one of the reasons why I think that Jesus doesn't say, I'm the Messiah. You don't really get that, do you? You don't ever have Jesus come out and say, hey guys, I'm the Messiah. He goes about functioning as the Messiah, and he lets other people draw their conclusions. Um, he doesn't want to say, I'm the Messiah, because what does that mean? I'm the Messiah that you're, you're thinking about. And the Messiah you're thinking about is not the right one. Does that make sense? It's like if... if uh, sometimes people ask me, especially in Romania, because it's, it's all Orthodox. Oh, you're Christian? You know, I'll be passing a flight. Oh, you're Christian? What kind of Christian? Are you Orthodox? And that's such a hard question to answer because... How do you mean orthodox? I know how they mean it. So I, I normally say, no, I'm not orthodox. I'm just Christian. But in a real way, I think I am orthodox. Orthodox just means straight teaching. Um, like an orthodontist, an orthodontist straightens your teeth. Uh, ortho, what's some other? Ortho just means straight. Donti orthodox is just straight teaching. I think I'm orthodox. But I can't talk to them with the language that they're using because they're going to have a, bad, a misunderstanding of who I am, right? 
Jesus can't say, I'm the Messiah. Because when he says that, he's saying, I'm a political deliverer, and I'm going to take the Romans away for you. And Jesus is not going to say that. Because he needs to teach them how he delivers. Um, and in conclusion, again, I want to say, uh, let the text shape our minds. Let us not have any preconceived ideas that we carry into the text with us. And every time that our understanding in the text differs, we have to be humble and change our thoughts. And let me also say, Jesus will pre prepare the way for us to understand. God, God in his infinite wisdom, had John come and help, help the Jews uh, understand that the Messiah was radically different. He prepared the way of Jesus. He didn't say, hey, go get your swords. Go get your shields. What did John say? He says, go, go repent. We got to repent because that's the nature of the kingdom. That's the nature of the message that the, the Messiah is going to bring. As we read this, God is going to show us who the Messiah is. We don't have to do it on our own. We don't have to, um, you know, change our own ideas on our own. God will do it as we read. Um, if you are not a Christian, if you don't, if you have never made the commitment to give your life to Jesus, um, we studied that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the person. Um, next time we study, um, I don't know if I'll do this every other Sunday or uh, however, um, but next time we're going to study for, uh, chapters 9 to uh, 13. And that's Jesus' baptism and temptation. And again, we see that Jesus is, is the Son of God. When, when the Father calls down from heaven, this is my Son. Um, Jesus is the Messiah. And you will do well to follow John's proclamation and give your life to Jesus and repent. And repentance is required. And, it, and it's a full repentance. It's not just a little bit. John nor Jesus ever called people to a little bit of repentance. He says, no, 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 no. I don't want you to just wash your hands. I want you to completely wash your body. All of it. If you would like to become a Christian, that's what we're going to ask of you as well. Are you willing to completely repent? That is the nature of the kingdom. Um, thank you for your attention and let us stand as we sing. I heard the voice of Jesus saying, Come on to me and rest.